morning, good evening, everyone. And uh, I'm your host, Abhinav Agarwal from the Indic Book Club. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to our latest edition of our IBC Author Q&A. Today, we have uh, Ratul Chakravarti, a gaming uh, content creator and an amazing writer who has come out with his uh, stunning debut novel a few a couple of months back, if I'm not mistaken, two or three months back. It's called Sutradhar, and you can see its uh, image uh, in uh, next to my, my virtual background. And uh, it's a collection of short stories that spans the length and breadth of the Indic uh, civilization. It's a, it's a work of fiction, but it uh, draws upon a lot of uh, uh, historical events and timelines. And when I read it, I was absolutely... Uh, you know, I, it's not any reflection on what I thought of Ratal, but I think the book was uh, fantastic, stunning. And uh, <clears throat> uh, the the stories are very, very well uh, written. The prose draws you in. It makes you want to keep on reading, turn the pages, and each story is, uh, is, is uh, you know, encapsulated in its own. So I am uh, very, very thankful to you, Ratal, for coming on board and agreeing to do this uh, author Q&A. Uh, so before we begin, I'll do a couple of, uh, you know, uh, the usual introductory uh, messages and all. So folks, please follow Indic Book Club on Twitter at Indic Book Club. And we are also on Facebook. So you can go and join the group, facebook.com slash group slash Indic Book Club, all one word. And every two weeks, we try and have an author Q&A. And usually, it, it, we, you know, we have been trying out a couple of different time slots. And this is the one that I think is working well so far, which is every uh, second Saturday at 9 p.m. India time, which uh, means in these uh, times of uh, the COVID uh, uh, you know, uh, economy and world that we are living in, hopefully, there are not too many of you who are out at malls and pubs on a Saturday night. If you are, then obviously, you know, uh, well and good. But if you're at home, it gives you a chance to dial in, tune in and uh, watch us uh, have Q&A with, uh, with uh, you know, variety of authors. The book is again called Sutradhar by Ratul Chakraborty. You can uh, catch it, you can buy it on Amazon or Flipkart. And uh, when you do, please do leave a rating, a review, and I'm sure you'll uh, absolutely love the book. So with that, Ratul, welcome thank you so much for having me here it's it's great to be a part of this series of show uh, talks that uh, you host as part of uh, ibc and uh, it's my privilege that uh, i am now in the part of that list of tradition that has kind of uh, you know that you have started and uh, so many great authors have uh, you know come on this forum before me and I think that's one of the key things that I love about, uh, you know, Indian culture as a whole, that, you know, once you start continuing something, it, you become a part of that story. And now I am a part of the story of this list of uh, interviews that you are doing. And then somebody will come after me and they too will be a part of this. And that's how we have beautiful traditions. So thank you once again. Absolutely. Uh, my my pleasure. Absolutely. It's a, it's a happy intersection of uh, of of uh, uh, you know passion and uh, uh, something that i uh, you know like doing so uh, so let me start off by so this is a short book and it's got about i think seven stories in it 
And do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, you know the story? So I'll start off with the first one. The first story is is uh, is called I think Newton's first. Yes. And I'm going to ask you what uh, you meant by the title, what the title is, the chapter's title is supposed to mean. But the story is set in the last days of the Saraswati civilization, you know, the the, the Indus Harappan civilization. And it's set on one of the a, a small settlement on the banks of the Saraswati. And uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, got you started with the story and what led you to the to the chapter's title. The chapter's title, by the way, is Newton's first. Um, so, uh, it's, uh, how do I put it? Um, Newton's first deals with inertia. And when I first uh, started to write this story, um, it, I, I wanted to kind of capture a couple of messages in this. Firstly, the fact that we had this really thriving civilization um, that uh, we have lost access to in some way. We can't even decipher the seals so far. And, you know, like, uh, it, it's kind of lost in time. But what was more interesting to me was uh, how did something as thriving as what we call the Saraswati civilization, how did that collapse in such a manner that we don't have a memory of it even? Uh, in the modern times, right? And that led me to a, a lot of study, right? Um, I studied about the different theories of why uh, that civilization collapsed. And uh, there is obviously the, you know, the now discredited Aryan invasion theory. Um, we have geological and ecological reasons. We have, uh, you know, more uh, uh, modern, uh, these things where we are, we are talking about... Uh, probably, um, you know, kind of plagues and uh, those kind of reasons. But to me, the essence of when I, when I was reading uh, these, to me, I think what made it more interesting was not this specific cause, I think that is important, but in terms of how people react to it. And one of the things I noticed is that um, the biggest detriment to us reacting in a positive uh, manner to challenges that kind of come up is our sense of inertia. And inertia is very interesting because inertia is, you, are, you keep on doing something, then it is very difficult for you to stop. And if you're not doing something, it is very difficult for you to begin, right? And I really, uh, and I kind of think that a lot of times we grow so comfortable in how we lead our life and you know how we deal with things that even if we know that okay, there's a clear and present danger in front of us, that long-term this bad thing is going to happen, um, we kind of give in to our inertia because it's very comforting. Okay, it is, you know, I'm, this is what I'm used to, so as to speak. And I saw a lot of that in our present day. You know, today we have challenges uh, in terms of our ecology. Today we have challenges in terms of population. Today we have challenges in terms of pollution. Today we have challenges in terms of cross inequality across, uh, you know, different uh, economic groups and all of that. And a lot of the reasons why, a lot of the times I find people, you know, giving a lot of arguments that this needs to continue because this has always been so. You know, we are not able to take that step. And when we actually do take a step which is uh, different, there is a huge resistance and that is what inertia is. 
so my story is about like this first story is about um you know the dangers of succumbing to that inertia and while i was writing it kind of ended in the way that i thought one of the key insights that i felt i needed to share was the fact that uh, i wanted to talk about the nature of knowledge itself because a lot of times what happens is that uh, you have path breakers who have broken the inertia uncovered knowledge and then it kind of falls into that same pattern and then that knowledge stagnates and that is something i wanted to bring out that we have to be very careful that we keep on pushing the boundaries in whatever we do not just in social life but in any field of endeavor the moment we succumb to inertia whether by not doing anything or by continuing to do something without uh, changing the moment we do that we stagnate and that creates a lot of problems so that's why it is hintons first got it now <clears throat> the message is very uh, uh, you know how do okay let, let me put it this way how do you, did you take this message and put it in the form of a 7 8 10 page uh, story that you have in a way that the story takes primacy and the message is is subtextual right that if you once you have read the story and you start to think about it i think all a lot of the things that you have just mentioned in terms of inertia in terms of the perils of succumbing to inertia even when uh, 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 you know someone comes and tells us uh, finds knowledge and comes and tells us that you know it's we should wake up and we should be alive to dangers and all we again you know inertia takes over so that is great but you know stories like this can very quickly become very uh, uh, you know tedious to say they can become very preachy so the uh, the challenge really lies in telling a story where the person is drawn into the story and the message is something that lingers with the with the reader after long, long after they have read the story they keep thinking about it so how did you achieve that uh, very very you know successful balance um i think the good thing about uh, like starting the story i don't know i don't know if you should say it's a good thing but i think one thing that was favorable for starting this story was the fact that we knew knew the end point that the civilization had collapsed right so for me as an author the technique that you use is the fact that you and it's it's very similar to what uh, you know gibbons has written in uh, you know the for decline of the roman empire that particular series or what asimov has written in the foundation series that uh, you show something which is really good and then you trace its journey to why it collapses right and you do that not by how we do in history books in general terms you show that to individuals so the key character that kind of the, the two key characters that are part of the story Um, and they're all fictional right there is no basis in uh, like i mean there is no accurate historical basis for these but these are um like uh, composite characters from whatever i have uh, seen and read um uh, we have to show the decline not just in terms of the like 
the actual physical decline that has happened, but we have to show the mental and moral decline that person has taken. And the only way to do that is to make sure that people with good intentions are making bad decisions. And I think that is what the strength, uh, or at least um, that is what I try to show that, uh, you know, uh, it's not that, you know, people as like succumbing to inertia is not evil, it is human nature. And it's not that, you know, there are evil, like, like I'm pretty sure there are a lot of uh, plenty of evil and powerful people out there, but I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of people who are doing this with the best of intentions because they truly believe that this is the way. And you yeah. know, the, the, the famous uh, proverb, I, I, I don't recall who has said it, but it's, it basically goes like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions. Yeah. And, and that is what, and, and, and I do think that that is one of the key learnings I got from reading the Mahabharata, where we see like, you know, really good people, what we call like people who are Mahatmas, and they are sometimes taking bad decisions. They are sometimes making mistakes, in term, not mistakes, I think that's a wrong word to use. They are sometimes doing something which they regret later on, saying that okay, this is not how it should, should have been uh, should have been done. And I think that is another uh, key thing that uh, I want to bring out is that sometimes bad things happen in spite of good people acting in good faith. Like acting in good faith is not a guarantee that uh, things are going to uh, turn out well uh, over time. And I think. The really interesting part as an author is like when people realize that they have made a mistake, what do they do? Do they double down on that mistake or do they try to reform? And that's what I think inertia comes into play. Because a lot of times what happens is that when we make a mistake, we double down on it. We don't accept that okay, I've made a mistake. You know, we can we should change course now. Correct. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so uh you know when then uh, your next story i believe is about the invasion of uh, uh, you know alexander. By alexander and here you have also taken a slight twist on the on on you know what we are told about alexander and obviously most textbooks uh, they gloss over the fact that alexander actually ran from india by uh, and i think it was uh, uh, this uh, famous Soviet uh, Marshal, Marshal Zukov. Zukov, who actually yeah. wrote about it, that uh, uh, it's not, so it is, I think it fits the stereotype that is created around uh, the Greeks that Alexander got mm -hmm. wary of war and all. And I have, uh, you know, always maintained that here was Alexander and his army on the outskirts or the borders of the richest uh, nation, the richest empire in the world with more riches than they would have ever even dreamt of. And all of a sudden, they just decide, you know, they've, they've just gone, grown weary of it all and they decide to run away. It is so implausible. I think even, uh, even, even some of the most hackneyed Bollywood, Hollywood, the plots would, uh, would be embarrassed by it. So you have, def but you have taken a slight twist on it. And uh, the one is, you know, the story that you have taken a twist on. And the second one is the narration itself. So while your first uh, story on the Saraswati civilization is told from a third person point of view, you try a different uh, approach in this second story, right? Tell us a little bit about it. 
Yeah, so Alexander is one of those topics that gets my blood boiling. Especially for the reasons why you mentioned. Uh, around five, six years back, I had made a video for my YouTube channel which talked about the specific thing. And the key thing that I wanted to address was that, uh, as I said, it's highly, highly implausible, but I wanted to kind of touch upon the military aspect of it, as in no, no general, you know, especially a general as ruthless as Alexander. And Alexander is somebody who burned down cities, destroyed, uh, you know, he, he was not some, you know, like uh, pacifistic, you know, that kind of person. I think as he passed through uh, Iran or Persia, the the Zoroastrians or I think believe uh, even gave him the name Alexander the Accursed because of his yeah. untold cruelty. Yeah, uh, uh, it's not just the Persians, you know. Even in Greece, uh, he sacked Thebes, uh, play, uh, like that. So he he was a very ruthless man, and you and, and you cannot conquer the world, or uh, or you cannot win as many, as many battles as you have done unless you are very very ruthless. So uh, that is there. Right, but I wanted to point to the fact that no general will accept that. Okay, my a few people in my uh, army have kind of come back and said that no, we don't want to fight anymore. We want to go back. You know, you, you really think that a person who burns down entire cities, enslaves entire civilizations, is going to listen to some guys coming and saying that no, no, we are very tired. We are going back now. So for me, it was very important to kind of have a military point of view in terms of what is it that. Uh, Alexander, like, 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 what is it that compelled Alexander to go back? And the fact of the matter is, it is shrouded in mystery. Most of the sources that we see of Alexander are not, um, are actually of Roman period. They are not actual Greek, like first time Greek sources. And the Romans fetishized uh, this, uh, you know, this iconic year of Alexander because the Roman emperors wanted to be known as great conquerors like Alexander. And then the colonial, the British, uh, this, uh, yeah, uh, the, the British administration encouraged the cult of Alexander to say that the white man will always come and he is not as bad as you think. Look at Alexander, he gave back his name to Porus. So there are a lot of political aspects to the actual myth of this particular incident, highly implausible incident that I, uh, my men are dying to win a battle and then I give back that thing on the same very next day. It is. As I said, like it's uh, it's nonsensical. But you know, the biggest problem is that none of the Indian sources mention an enormous event like this. Like, where are those Indian uh, accounts of Alexander coming, winning this great battle, and then giving up this this Mahadani? You would be called right when Alexander. If, if, if we uh, if, if we were to think that the story was true, so to me, establishing that this thing did not happen. Was, was the key thing. But again, like as I started writing it, I thought of that, okay, this cannot be an impersonal battle between two kings. This has to have this larger moment. And then I really uh, thought about, okay, the contemporary, and, and, and it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, the idea that Chandragupta, Maurya, and Chanakya had some contact with Alexander's army, um, it's actually... Uh, established in a very old Bengali play. Okay, so I had, yeah, it's, it's a hundred year old Bengali, yeah, it's a hundred year old Bengali play and it, that idea is there. So I thought that, okay, that is, that is a good hook for me to start off. 
but just having those characters is very uh, like 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 the the characters need to mean something right and uh, i was like I, uh, like i i am in actually awe of the actual chanakya serial that had happened and i wanted to write a chanakya that was complementary to that chanakya that uh, was there in the serial and i thought that there are three things that i needed to explore here one was that what is it that uh, what is the core duty of a ruler right and when you look at arthashastra it says that the king needs to ensure that matsanya is not there matsanya means the law of the fish the big fish little little fish and the king needs to ensure that the big fish is not eating the little fish at will like that is the primary primary duty and then i said that okay alexander he is not ruling he is taking his army and is rolling across this entire europe and asia and coming to india but he is not what we are what he is not a ruler in the sense arthashastra or in the indic tradition what we consider to be a ruler he is winning he is so you can call him as a warlord you can call him as a bandit but to call him an emperor or to call him a ruler is very bad on the other hand we had uh, you know the nanda king and he was also a different kind of a, you know he was he was also abandoning his duties as a ruler because uh, he was becoming the big fish eating the little fish at will he was by his corruption and by his uh, debauchery and by the you know unethical conduct that uh, chanakya admonishes him for he actually is a counterpoint to alexander in which that he is an exploiter so we have the invader and we have the exploiter and we have the third part which chandragupta who wants to be the righteous king but he needs to go through and he needs to understand that and, and this is i think one of the key conversations that happen in that year where chanakya is very very political and he is like okay you know should we even stay in this battle uh, at hidaspis and uh, chandragupta says i know that if i don't go through the crucible here then what will somebody else uh, you know like when when another invader comes then uh, you know why would somebody fight for me and i wrote this because a lot of the again there's a lot of modern uh, thinking that kind of goes in here because a lot of times i see that today people here in india they say that oh somebody from outside should come and fix this you know like when we talk about uh, you know we we have people saying that oh it was this is written in some foreign press and journal and this is how we should be working and all of that and one of the things i wanted to say that no you have we have to fix our own problems and we have to uh, like unless we are at a point where uh, we ourselves are able to stand up to these things neither the invader nor the exploiter is the right way to do you have to grow and you have to step into that you know uh, role of an ideal ruler ourselves nobody else is going to help you but the moment you stand up and the moment you make those sacrifices and uh, i don't want to spoil the story but there is a massive sacrifice that needed to happen for that and that is a part of you know stepping into that role that unless you uh, do that sacrifice you are not going to uh, you know get to the desired outcome or something like that so that so those are the angles i wanted to try and bring in and i think it comes out very very well 
uh, and again, you know, I'll I'll not uh, put out any spoilers, but uh, it's the same thing that uh, uh, Matsya cannot be allowed to become the order of the day on the one hand, and for dharm to survive, I mean, you have to have alt. Dharm without uh, alt is is a chimera, which uh, unfortunately has become accepted wisdom in our times that uh, somehow you can have right righteousness without uh, you know accompanying uh, economic strength yeah. uh, so and you know profit as a dirty word unfortunately has become established wisdom <laughs> leaving that aside leaving that aside the, uh, I, <clears throat> I i i found uh, you know uh, traces of the same thinking and philosophy that is marked by krishna in the mahabharat also in this story in the form of uh, you know kotalya chandra uh, kotalya chanakya so okay moving on uh, your third uh, your fourth story a mirror for the ants <laughs> that's a collect that's a fairly long one and it's broken up and it's got i think how many i think about five parts to it yeah yeah so i uh, and then the stories go on and the last one is i think a mirror for a uh, no it's got the path of a coward i think yeah yeah the path of a coward so before I, I get into some of the other broader questions just tell us a little bit about why did you uh, arrange this fourth story the way you did uh, tell us a little bit about it in the mirror for the ants it starts out in the form of a letter so a first person account of a letter written by one of uh, i think aurangzeb's uh, generals and uh, courtiers yeah, so, or yeah. courtiers yeah so t- exactly yes yes so t- tell us about that yeah so a uh, mirror for the ants again it's uh, it's so there is it's a genre piece it's uh, there's a particular genre that i am very fond of it's called cosmic horror uh, it's created by hp lovecraft and uh, he had a lot of problematic uh, ideas later on but uh, he actually created this entire genre and the core uh, hook for that particular horror genre is the fact that human beings are really insignificant and the key characters in those uh, stories the moment they realize that we are really insignificant and uh, you know there are beings which much greater power in the world who think of us ants or not even think of us you know they can crush us without even thinking the moment that reality dawns on somebody and they experience it their mind goes blank and uh, you know they, they they suffer a mental collapse and the horror is there the horror is in the uh, in the realization that all our uh, you know like everything that we have around us and all our uh, you know uh, you know achievements and all are but what we would consider to be an ant colony to certain other higher order beings so that is the core this thing and uh, it's 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 a very well established genre with its own tropes and everything but uh, that letter writing style i adapted so that i could actually delve into that so that through like this multiple letters and all of that i could show the degradation of the mental faculties of that particular character and that almost always takes you know, like that you know like when you start seeing things like things start to become sinister around you like when you, so there's a trek through a forest and all of that and what i wanted to kind of show there is that even if there are this higher order things which are present and that is the indic touch that i wanted to bring to this genre 
is that even if there are these higher order things that is uh, things that are present that does not make me insignificant because i am a part of this larger tapestry and uh, i think ishavasu uh, upanishad i i actually used that quote in that particular story that uh, you know like either uh, like uh, wherever you see you find uh, that divinity and we are all part of that and that was for me the key uh, messaging that i wanted to bring so the horror elements and everything is for the entertainment right and and to kind of show the madness that descends upon people when they don't accept that uh, you know that we are not a part of this one large uh, ecosystem or one large uh, like uh, tapestry of life when you say that okay my book is bigger than your book or my idea is uh, you know is the only right idea and what you have is false the moment you start going towards that you are delving into that horror because you are thinking that oh because this is my book or this is my idea and you don't subscribe to it i am superior to you and when you talk about higher order beings and all of that obviously that's a lot of like science hasn't discovered a lot of those things maybe someday it will but i think from a just a mental and social perspective this ordering that happens because you think that oh because i follow this or because i actually do, you know i am doing this or i have access to this and because you don't believe it or you don't or you don't practice it or or, or, or something else i have a superior uh, you know like you are insignificant to me and the true horror comes when somebody thinks that oh i am a part of the society and i feel really insignificant and that's where this depression and all of these other things kind of come through so that mental um, uh, from 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 mental point of view i think our indic philosophy has got the answer to these very very modern problems of what like what will make me feel less insignificant you know and 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 that is the key uh, part of the book it's like all the rest of the things you know the, the action and everything that happens um like writing something that aurangzeb gets his come up with is very satisfying but i think the key key thing that i wanted to get across is that no matter where you are no matter uh, at what position in life you are or what stage of your uh, you know career you are or whatever your stress is just be aware that you are not insignificant you are connected to other people whether you know whether you see those connections or not those things are really important and the moment somebody discounts those things is when subjugation occurs mm-hmm. the moment somebody says that you know like um, these bonds are worthless and only these bonds are correct the moment that happens this stratification and all those evils that we see talk about so i think this is a very very uh, important lesson that is uh, addressed at large in our own philosophy and i just needed to get this out and obviously the book is not a substitute for reading that you think but at least making people think in that direction so that they can go and seek out and uh, get to the deeper aspects of these things if even one or two people are able to do that i think that's a, that my job is done again apart from the satisfaction of writing about uh, aurangzeb running away <laughs> i think <laughs> that is there so i uh, you know i i don't want to spring this on you but uh, is there a particular 
page or uh, two that you would want to read uh, for uh, for all of us uh, i uh, you know from across the book and while you are thinking about it i'll ask you another question and uh, so the book itself is fabulous as i said uh, you know for all of you guys who are thinking about getting the book get the copy of the book it's fabulous uh, the stories are short very very engaging and i want to ask uh, you know given that this uh, ratul has told us and shared so much with us about uh, his thinking behind the stories and uh, what the message he wanted to convey and the fact that they have come out so well i wanted to ask him a few questions about the craft of writing itself so uh how much time did you take uh, 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 ratul to write this book and there would have been a period of time when you would have thought about it uh, how you want to structure it uh, and all so roughly what time span are we looking at so this is a very interesting question because there's no straight answer to this so uh, the path of the coward the last story that is there, right the first version of that story was something that i had written in written from a school magazine okay wow okay okay <laughs> and, and and then obviously the story has changed a lot but the fact that there was this person in a train during partition era like that that core kernel of the story um that 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 was written in my school days right then the other stories that i had written it was written over a period of around 10 years and uh, 10 years 10 years and it was uh, so here's the thing right um, i work in the games industry um i am uh, yeah mainly in game design uh, at a director level and that is itself a very very uh, creatively uh, you know demanding work and it has got absolutely nothing uh, to do with uh, the subjects that i tackle in sutra so so it so a lot of the writings were uh, stop and start i wrote a bit and then i stopped and then i got stuck somewhere and then i wrote a bit and i started some other story and then i would read something on social media and i would just go angry and just start writing in the uh, in those so it was very very inspiration driven okay and okay. Uh, my other superpower is my ability to uh, procrastinate so uh, <laughs> so it, it, it so so i uh, i remember there, there there was one year in which i hadn't written a single word and this way so i feel it, i'm i'm sorry to say but i feel so much better hearing this <laughs> that procrastination is a, is a, is a, is a superpower that at least one other person shares with me so uh, but the thing is that these uh, stories um, they kind of took on a life of their own and there came a point where i said that oh no i have to finish this and i think last year i became like really really serious about it and then and last I, year we are talking about 2019 2019 yeah so i actually started to st- uh, complete this story and then i said that i, I need even more uh, time to kind of finish this off so i actually took a break from my career to to just uh, you know finalize and finish of all of uh, uh, all the things and a lot of regrets and everything you know the process from when uh, something which is a uh, the 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 raw material starts taking shape to the final final product 
So that was something where, uh, which I could only do once I did not have an office hanging over my head. Um, <laughs> I, 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 um, I'm hoping that uh, that's something that is a learning experience for me and I can actually multitask for my next, uh, whatever I'm doing. But uh, as I said, like to come back to your original question, um, the first version of this was in school. Then uh, the starting points of these, uh, you know, what you can call planting the seeds was over a period of 10 years. And the final harvest was 2019. That's how I can kind of put it. Amazing, amazing. Uh, you know, from school to, to, you know, 10 years and then getting it out into a book form. Uh, <laughs> and it shows, it, it shows in, in, the, in the writing and the stories. The second is that uh, when it comes to, uh, so again, you know, there are different, several different points of view that you have employed uh, from a third person point of view to a first person point of view. Uh, even the way that you approach a story is not the same throughout. You have, you know, used several different, uh, you know, instruments there. So what has been your uh, you know, uh, so what have been your sources of uh, learning about the craft of writing, right? So obviously there's the art, there's the inspiration, but uh, ultimately it comes down to what tools and hammers and uh, implements we pick. So what has been your, uh, what have been your sources? So, um, so I think uh, at a base level, it has to uh, start with research, you know, like when you actually pick up a historical topic, there's a reason it is called historical fiction and not just fiction, because it has to have its basis in some sort of reality, Correct. right? So that research, and, and, and again, like, uh, uh, like I am a huge, huge consumer of media, um, not just uh, Indic or Indian media, but uh, things like Japanese or European stuff, like, and across different uh, platforms, right? Animes and you know, movies, like all, I, I, like I, 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 I actually consume a lot of media and uh, even things like video games and all of that with the narrative focus. So I, I, so I have a constant stream of these uh, images and thoughts and which, which kind of come in. And some, sometimes what happens is that an idea that I am thinking of connects with those images. And I am a very visual person, you know, like when I actually write, I actually see that thing happening in front of my eyes. That's like, and what I'm uh, writing is basically describing that person. And, and a lot of times, a lot of those things get edited out because I write, you know, things like how a person is moving his hand. And then when I write it, I actually, uh, then that allows me to write about what that person is feeling at, at that point. And then I can edit out the, you know, the mm. physical stuff. But to me, actually visualizing the uh, visualizing these things actually is a big help for me. And the other thing that I can do is I can uh, do this, uh, like, if I feel that okay, I need that there is one word I need to change, I need to kind of go back and change it immediately. I am obsessive about that. Because, and I know that a lot of writing coaches uh, uh, are very, very against this sort of thing. But uh, as I said, like I did not have any writing coaches. I, I, it, like this book is 
mainly a stream of consciousness and then it kind of became edited and it kind of became a book and uh, one of the things that i did was uh, you know i i used google docs as a as, as a base platform for writing okay and what and, and what it allowed me to do is that sometimes i would actually open it on my phone and type and write something i remember like uh, one of the really? like yeah i i'll tell you one story um i remember that one of the actually i'll read this part out okay you had asked for me to kind of read it and uh, it is from uh, a mirror for the ants and i i know the exact sentence that i'm looking for and um, which page is uh, is this and just uh, coming yeah so page number 177 okay Okay. and and this part you know the temple bell tolled louder now yes. i could hear the chants too the words hit me like a hammer blow even though i did not understand what they meant isavasyam idam sarvam yat kincha jagatyam jagat like this line was written um in the bangalore airport uh on my phone on google docs <laughs> amazing and, and uh And, and the thing is that uh, you know like uh, it was like i i was talking to one uh, a very good friend of mine and we were discussing something completely different and then something like this came up and i said that oh this is where this thing fits in that story that i was writing and i had already crossed that particular part you know i was in the next chapter or something like that and the moment i turned on the phone uh, when, when i ended the call i opened up google docs and i had, i was typing it furiously and uh, it it just felt very natural to me so um, writing this book has been about a lot of doing these kind of things and again i said like uh, please don't take these as advice uh, for anybody who is considering to write something and listening up please don't uh, do what i am doing i think there are uh, ways in which in which you can be more productive and there are ways in which the actual craft of writing you can invest in and uh, become better at uh, the score thing uh, i'm just telling it uh, how it happened with me and uh, how this entire thing came off so essentially well uh, you know everyone can be a little more disciplined and regular in in uh, how and when they write but i think the key takeaway is that when inspiration strikes uh, be ready to make the most of it and uh, jot it down wherever you can whether it's yeah. on uh, using a pen and paper or now that we have smartphones at least uh, you know yeah. they can be put to, to some good use other than uh, yeah. uh, surfing and all so good <laughs> i want to come to the next part which is something not you know you know strictly related to writing as such but uh, see the reason why we write is because we as humans want want to communicate and we choose different media for communication whether it is through conversation whether through it is uh, uh, you know letters and no one writes letters unfortunately nowadays uh, or through blog posts articles or books like you have done now the purpose that we communicate is or we write is because we want to communicate and if we are writing a book then obviously we are writing it because we want people to read we feel there is a message we want to bring out there is uh, something entertaining even if something has got no uh, you know immediate social message it's because we have an entertaining story to tell we are all storytellers we all like listening to stories so in a long winded way what i am coming to at is 
how uh, I'm struggling for the right words for a new author, right? For a new author that doesn't have the backing of a tier one publishing house, which would have untold budgets uh, or at least the, the brand name of a big public publishing house to back it up. How did you go about, uh, 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 you know, spreading the word for your book on the one hand? And the second flip side of it is that uh, what can we as readers do? So obviously buying the book is, is you know, what we'd like everyone uh, uh, to do. But what else can uh, people do? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's great that you brought this up because this is a reality of the situation, right? That... Um, when you are starting out as an independent author, and uh, I, I'm not talking, I'm talking about a regular person starting out and write a book without a cloud or backing or whatever you call it. I think the first thing that kept me sane through the entire process was the fact that Karmanya uh, Adhikaraste, okay, that your job is to write the book, okay, and your focus is, has to be that. Um, I, I went through the like the regular um, you know process of you know sending this out to publishers and then getting rejected and and uh, for a time um, you get bitten by this uh, imposter syndrome in terms of you know like is this really good? I had shared a few of my stories with my friends and family. And they were all sort of like, yeah, it's really good and all of that. And I had the sneaking suspicion that, oh, they're saying it just because it's me and they know me and they don't want to hurt my feelings and all of that. So I think the, the most important thing, the most important advice that I would give to somebody is to not lose faith in yourself. You know, Have faith in what you have done. Like if you have done it with good intentions, then it will have its own results. A publishing, a publisher's opinion is dependent upon a myriad of things, uh, be it ideology, be it sales, be it uh, connections, be it that the fact they don't have it on the slate. You don't know, like that, that is not an accurate reflection on the quality of your output. That, that, that's a commercial decision or an ideological decision. Uh, so I needed to get that, I like internalize that because the first few rejections hit really hard. Um, especially when you get these really impersonal messages, like we can't consider it, full stop, you know, or you get something which is like, uh, you know, this is good, but you know, blah, blah, blah. And it, it really hits you uh, uh, for the first time. You, you you have to grow your skin a little thick. Uh, and th that is the point where I actually discovered uh, Indic Academy. My very good friend, uh, Raghav, who is with the uh, Rashtram right now. So he and I were colleagues back at, uh, at a previous uh, organization. And uh, he sent me this uh, invitation to join a weekend retreat with uh, Professor Vinod Vidwansi. Where they talked about music and all oh, that. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. And uh, that's where I met uh, a lot of like-minded folks. And I realized that, oh, like these are people who are actually thinking like me and you know they're interested in a lot of these things and i actually struck up a very nice conversation with folks and all of that and that's when it kind of struck me that oh 
you know like why should i go and hanker after uh, these guys who are not respecting um, the thought process and the perspective that i'm trying to bring and why not go through indic academy and i think uh, hari kiran ji was very very gracious um, with the entire process and then it kind of um, you know it, it, it was very smooth uh, after that because um, and I, I, and uh, you know like going through indic academy gave me a lot of control over the final form of the book so for example the cover page that you see that actually picture was taken by me uh, during an early morning uh, boat ride on the ganga near varanasi oh fabulous okay, okay. so uh, i could do things like that which i don't know whether uh, a normal uh, traditional publisher would have allowed me to and uh, the biggest uh, the best part about it was that and at least personally to me is that i felt that you know whatever this book is i can take responsibility for it if it is bad then it is my fault if it is if it touches somebody it is you know like it, it is something that i have done well and i especially for for a first book i actually wanted to step out and say that okay i am responsible for this if you hate this book you know it is not on somebody else i am not blaming it on an editor or bad day or whatever like that it is all upon me or if you like all of this then yeah that gives you great encouragement but it's a product that is truly my own and i think that um that was really good from a uh, from a point of view of uh, uh, getting my confidence back because uh, you know it, it it was really really hard for the first few rejections and i, I, I like again i'll repeat like for any new authors out there uh, please 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 don't lose faith on yourself uh, you have to like if you're destined to write that book go and write that book and then things will happen on the uh, this thing um the other thing that is the most gratifying part of this entire journey is when i uh, when somebody you know who is unknown reaches out to me and talks about oh ratul i read your book and this part really connected with me i cannot explain the satisfaction that i uh, that, that i uh, receive when uh, I, I, and it's not just about people saying that you know i i want to get good things about myself you know just to have a discussion based upon things that i've written if somebody disagrees about oh, this is a point that uh, should have been made in a different way or this is a perspective that i don't agree with because of counter perspective i think those discussions are what generates culture and that is when, like the, like if you are writing uh, like for any creative process i think the true test of success is that is its ability to generate conversations is its ability to generate conversations because conversations lead to ideas that lead to culture that is something that i like for me that's the greatest takeaway not sales it's about those things sales is also a big part of what leads to those things but it's those things um at this point i would request folks that uh, if you are writing uh, if you are reading any book um especially from the new authors especially from upcoming authors please 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 do leave a review uh, either on the store or uh, tweet about it or put up a post on facebook even if it's one line with a picture of the book um, i think that's the best way somebody can help an author it's it's like 
today we know that our attention span is so limited that just by advertising uh, you know on traditional things is not enough unless readers become stakeholders in the reading process uh, we will not be able to grow this we will not be able to grow a literary culture it will remain a very elitist it will remain controlled by a very few so as readers i think and this is something that you know once i launched this book this is something that i realized myself now i go and we start leaving uh, i leave reviews on uh, you know amazon or in our indie book club uh, uh, group and i think uh, arunav you are also doing the you know thousand reviews uh, initiative just to drive this culture of you know uh, generating conversations on the internet uh, having those artifacts that are reviews out so that people so that this uh, organic buzz is built so so very true uh, ratul that in this day and age where people have short attention spans and the fact that a lot of our purchase decisions when it comes to books is made on the basis of what we see written about that book on websites and if you are buying online then and even if you're not buying online i believe that a lot of people still go to a website like amazon read the ratings and the reviews given to a book before they decide whether to purchase it from that website or to go to a bookstore and buy it so i completely agree with you that uh, leaving a rating leaving maybe even you know three line five line review is not something that takes more than 5 minutes to do but i think the value it has uh, for an upcoming reader cannot uh, upcoming writer sorry cannot be under uh, you know stated at all and uh i have uh, uh, I'll, i'll talk a little bit about the thousand reviewers club but i see that uh, you know there's a question i'll read that out and uh, you can answer it it, uh, it is from shiv kumar and he says ratul clearly there is a story of the entire civilization going here in this book yet there are big period gaps did you not find crucial turning points or bends in the flow of the civilization at other times what were the creative triggers for you to fly into story writing okay um couple of points right like um each of the stories um in this book uh to me uh represent a fork in the road which has a direct impact on what we are today so if you start off and uh, i i know that the period gap that exists because there's one story about ashoka and then there is a 2000 year old 2000 year jump probably to aurangzeb and uh, indian civilization like the classical indian civilization that we call actually peaked in the in that age but um i actually wanted to write a story of uh, uh, of that period also um especially around the huna invasions during the gupta period Yeah, but like. but i started writing that and i realized that i did not have the at least at that point i could not find that you know second layer in the story it was becoming a narration of oh this has happened itihasa but it was not becoming uh, like like how the other stories have those two or three different layers to it um, i could not find it at that point in time you see and when i started to think of it in like in a bigger terms 
and there's another one actually um, there's another story that i really wanted to write was based on this uh, book called madhura vijayan which uh, talks about uh, a prince of vijayanagar called kumar kampana uh, going back and winning madurai and i thought that this is an amazing story because it's written by his wife um called gangathe and it's 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 a wonderful story it's a, it's what you would call a, a peak um you know highly highly entertaining uh, um uh tale of victory of good over evil but then i realized that it's not a short story it's an arc that has to have a bigger canvas and i would be doing the story injustice if i tried to compress it in like 5000 words or something like that so those are stories that i wanted to tell but uh, to me uh, they did not fit into what i had uh, what what sutradhar was all about either um, at an ideological level or at a simply practical level because i did not want to disservice to do a disservice to a team so that's how uh, th- that gap exists and for all of the other stories they are like uh, you know like really important uh, as a folks in the road that our civilization could have gone one way or the other and i wanted to tell the talk about the impact of what happens when that when it went in a particular way and what was the you know uh, i don't want to use the philo- word philosophy what was what were the different layers of why certain things happened in a certain way so true so true uh we have one more question this is from s anuradha and she asks interesting perspective on civilizational inertia ratul wanted to know how you pick the order of stories in a collection um so the stories are mainly in chronological order as far as uh, you know like my understanding of uh, history uh, goes um, i think there are uh, debates about the actual period of the saraswati civilization when that happened and there's a like you know geological evidence and right now i think the theory is that it was not a direct end but there was a migration and then there was overlapping uh, you know like certain cities declined and certain cities prospered um, as people moved into the gangetic delta so um, to the best of my understanding like the stories are in a chronological order and the periods that i picked were as i said periods which i felt had an impact that we are still feeling today um and i'll just start try to tell that in one word right i think the first one is about you know our roots we are from the we are children of the saraswati i would like to say um um next is about uh, you know setting up what a, what our idea of a righteous ruler should be like how is our politics to be governed third part is about ashoka which is talking about you know uh, somebody outstaying their welcome you know too much mahatma uh, so as to speak and i think that's what i wanted to show the human sides of you know being too good and uh, you know the limits of the welfare state the fourth which is that mega time jump uh, uh, talks about aurangzeb and how one man's fanaticism will bring about his or her downfall you know like there is no doubt in my mind that when you try to squeeze something too hard the sand will slip and that is what i wanted to kind of show there uh, the next one which is set in the british era 
at the advent of the british and talks about famine it is about you know uh, reconciling with our own past and there's one uh, it is based on this uh, satirical uh, bengali story not based but inspired a bit by the satirical bengali novel called khushundir mate by rakshakar bhushu it uh, which has got this ghost elements and and a lot of it is taken from bengali folk elements also and i wanted to talk about you know like think about ghosts in terms of our own aspirations and our own past and and i think the core think of any ghost story if you take out the horror is about reconciling with us with something that has happened in the past and that's what kind of comes in so that's what i wanted to kind of talk about the the next story um, is set in the bengal partition era and uh, that story is about saguna faith you know um, i i had uh, attended a very f- interesting lecture by professor bharat gupji who talked about the decline of saguna worship as one of the key uh, drivers of our current deracination okay that that, that uh, you know like when we think everything in, in the metaphysical layer we sometimes start to lose the practical aspects of what made our uh, culture so vibrant like why we are a living culture and we see that a lot of that uh, you know dying out today uh, one of the things we kind of talk about is you know somebody is very creative and it's a very modern term that uh, modern thinking that to be creative is something which sets you apart because if you look back at even our villages today uh, or, or, or even if in our own childhood um, you would see people painting their walls we would see uh, you know uh, make people making kites and nobody thought that these people are extra creative because they are doing it today if you make a kite by your own hand you will put it on for instagram and so on oh he was really creative about this but at that, but but our old times people used to make this intricate rangolis and uh, you know to paint their houses they would make small toys uh, and all of those and nobody would say that oh you are like amazingly creative because creativity was not something which was different creativity was something which was intrinsic to our nature and a part of our daily this thing and post industrial era when those things became less economically valuable that's when creativity became a separate thing one that can be monetized if possible and all of that so i wanted to get back some focus into that saguna thing that okay uh, you know the big uh, a lot of hindus um, and this again say uh, my personal thing i've seen them that all oh, these rituals are useless you know none of these uh, things uh, matter it's all that. and fine if you have certain view and all of that but we have to understand that uh, the majority faith what i call the bedrock of bharat you know they they are connected with the divine is through these things and we need to respect that we need to respect the power that is there in those rituals that have survived through thousands of years and are still continuing today and that is under direct assault from so many different things. some people call it superstition some people call it waste of money supreme court will say don't put milk on that like 10000 different things but the fact that it is a continuing living tradition that like our culture is a continuous living tradition is based upon us and you know following some parts of that so i wanted to bring that up and partition is a very personal story because my own family actually came um 
to india during the partition uh, this thing and uh, that to me is the seminal event of the last century where this much of you know like and it was one of the most fundamentally um, i would say like there, there hasn't been enough studies on the outcome of partition on the psyche of you know our nation and uh, you know how the trajectories of the two countries have evolved from that event because a lot of times what we are seeing today is that people want to forget partition people want to forget why partition happened and there is a very specific reason why partition happened i don't want to go into that but i want people to remember that this had happened it is not even 100 years that this has happened and people are already you know saying that chinna was a secular person and stuff like that so please uh, remember you know a part of being a storyteller a part of being a bard or a part of being uh, you know a quote unquote creative this thing is to record these things for posterity is to pass on these thoughts and so, so that is so true so true uh, ratul that uh, you know we we seek to criticize and condemn without comprehension and i am often reminded of this quote by professor kapil kapoor who said that mm-hmm. uh, the modern indian particularly the hindu suffers from such a deep loss of self respect that he is unwilling to be recognized as such and any manifestation mm-hmm. of that identity that he has been trained to reject and suppress causes a very deep visceral reaction from him and i think uh, that is so insightful and stunning that uh, it explains so much of the way a lot of us tend to behave in society including what you said this uh, condemnation of uh, of rituals without understanding and as a as a blind response to the templates that have been framed for us by people out from outside uh I want Absolutely. to end with a couple just, of just uh, one just one yeah, sure, line sure. I want yes, to yes. add is that uh, you know the the combination is faith plus rituals right and 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 that is i think like you know like what i wanted to bring it bring out in that story is the fact that okay like um first is that don't be ashamed of these rituals and all of that and the second part is that unless you truly believe in it unless you get to the point that you know uh, where like whatever happens in the story that that is what is going to carry you through you know and that is what will sustain you to kind of do those things and that faith is what is giving that thing power you know and i wanted to highlight that that we have lost that connect today we are in an endlessly skeptical world we are uh, you know everything is very fleeting to us because we don't have any faith on anything you know we are asked we are taught that you know nothing is real nothing is uh, you know uh, nothing is what it seems everything is a you know if you go by the intersectional this thing everything is an oppressor oppressed uh, binary so to me having faith in the good things is one of the key ways you can cope with the reality of our what our current existence is and that faith like people say that okay, oh blind faith okay but think about this you know when you're driving a car you have faith in the fact that your you know your speedometer is showing the right thing when you hit a gear is showing okay we have faith 
we have faith in a lot of different things when i'm making a call i have faith in my cell phone that it is going to work because it has worked in this number of times why is it that you know like when somebody is uh, putting a belpatta to a shivling they said oh it's a blind faith huh? and that to me is what i wanted to challenge in the sense that believe in the good things huh? take like don't reject anything based on that as a like western interpretation and the western framework that oh these are backward tendencies and uh, and all of that huh? come back to the reality that you know doing some of these things have an impact and that impact is driven by something as intangible so yes it's, it's it goes back to you know 50 years back if someone had said that uh, breathing in a particular way can actually lower your blood blood pressure you would have been dismissed as uh, a superstitious crank mm-hmm. but because you get studies done in the west then we all say oh yes except that the west will not, will never call it a pranayam yeah. or uh, uh, you know they will call it rhythmic cardiac breathing yeah that's exactly i'm i'm not kidding you that's a word that yes. they're trying to use for it but leaving that aside i i want to close with a couple of things first of all i'm i was thinking of asking you this question but i will ju- i will not ask you this question i will leave it as a a a stereotypical generalization i have come to the conclusion ratul that all bengalis are incredibly creative when it comes to the arts uh you are i think just one and the latest in that long line of very creative bengalis so i am thinking of changing my name to maybe uh, bhattacharya or uh, chatterjee or banerjee or uh, ray you know maybe that will add that 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 cream of creativity to my writing so i won't leave it with that i'm not going to ask you to deny it or 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 clarify it the second is that you talked about the thousand reviewers club so what indic book club and indic academy have started is that we want to do precisely this get the, the you know spread awareness about perhaps lesser known books popular books also but also lesser known books by by you know new time first time authors to as many people as we can so to that end we are we have a goal of reaching 1000 people who are interested in reviewing books and to send to them over the period of one year at least five books based on the interests that they specify all we ask in return is that you acknowledge when you get the book right so that you post on twitter or instagram or uh, uh, facebook that you have got this book so that more people get to know of it on the one hand and then once you read the book leave a review write a review put it on amazon put it on goodreads tell us on twitter and facebook and instagram and elsewhere that you've written that review and this is an experiment we are trying we have got more than 480 people who have signed up we have sent about 200 books so far and we are by the end of the year we would have sent book, uh, another 2 to 300 books so we have started this please go to our uh, facebook page as i said facebook group facebook.com/groups/indicbookclub uh, you'll find information on how you can register do please do that and uh, ratul's book is sutradhar it is available on amazon uh, on flipkart and elsewhere please go buy the book read it rate it review it and thank you ratul for coming in and this was uh, very very uh, entertaining and useful thank you so much for having me i am really really grateful uh, to ibc and you for actually carrying this out i am really looking forward to the 1000 reviews club 
and i hope that indic academy and uh, ibc advait academy all the branches they go from strength to strength and uh, you know carry on the great service that they are doing for our way of life for our civilization thank you rathul i am so glad to be a part of this journey along with everyone else so thank you all for joining in and we will be putting this uh, recording this q and a up on youtube in a few days so thank you good night and uh, see you next thank time you. thank you